Welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Philippe de Lamatroc, and Ana Coriel, and this is kind of a bonus episode. I am going to read some things, though, to make it worth it. So I haven't decided if this is going to be Season 7, Episode 1, or just make it Season 6, <laughs> Episode 31. Probably that since it is kind of a bonus, because I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet, but I have an idea for today. Um, first, I want to mention that my hands hurt, so it's, I haven't been writing, especially my right thumb, and I'm right-handed, so that's not good. I am going to physical therapy to see if we can fix some of the problems there, but it's a little disconcerting. Um, but also... After reading Alien Us, I decided to open my Bookrite. It's a uh, app from it's a application on my computer, not on my phone. Uh, from Blurb, a Blurb is a place that you can print books, whether they're picture books or other things. You can print fan fiction there. Just don't sell it. <laughs> Make sure you don't do that. Um, I have printed. If it's not one thing. Osvanchim, and now Alien Us. And each time I realized I'd jumped the gun and there's some issues with them. Um, I know, did that the first time with um, If It's Not One Thing and I realized there was a typo on the back cover so I gave away that copy for just the cost of shipping to someone and printed it again and I added a few things this time. So I fixed that typo, unfortunately left another one, um, but I added in a photo, well, not a photo, a, a scan of my original print cover that has autographs on it. So that's in the first couple of pages of the, of the book. Um, but uh, I want to print it again. <laughs> I want to print it again because, um, oh, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Um, let, well, let's go ahead with it. I want to print it again because Bookrite updated, so it looked a little different when I pulled it back into um, Bookrite, and I decided I was going to do something different with the spacing. In if it's not one thing in Osvanchim, the copies that I have right now, there's a space uh, like an extra line between every paragraph. And if it's not one thing, it gets a little funky, like sometimes there's a couple lines down when there doesn't need to be because it's not a change in scene. So it's a little funky. But by taking away that space, I can reduce the number of pages. And it looks more like a regular book. So I decided to do that with Bookrite. I mean, as it was, Osvanchim, if I just wanted to print a copy of what I have now, it was $71. <laughs> I did have a coupon when I printed it the first time, so I didn't pay $71. Um, but I realized with Osvianchim, I left out the epilogue. It's not in there. The epilogue is not there. I've got the story. I've got the, uh, the scanned picture of the original cover with the autographs. I've got the bibliography and the translations and all that, and the bonus ep X-Files epilogue, but I left out the actual epilogue. <laughs> this nice little bit. Um, I read it here on, uh, on the podcast. Well, 
in Alien Us, what I didn't do is I left out the page numbers. Now, I haven't received my copy of Alien Us yet. It's coming, it's supposed to come December 9th. And I'll get a look at it. Also, the image on the front, the cover, is a little too far toward the spine. Um, so I'm going to print it again. And I'm going to, I you know, in my new print, I'm going to move that image over. And I'm going to add those page numbers. And so I'm going to print it again. That one I didn't have to put on color paper, so it cost only, which I, I, it was only like $15 with shipping. And I had a coupon, so it was even less than that. It was 13 something. So that one's going to be nice and cheap. Ospianchim, and if, and if it's not one thing, because they had that scan picture, they, and Ospianchim has illustrations, they had to be done on color paper, or that would have been black and white. And I didn't want it to be black and white. I wanted to be wanted it to be color. So it cost a little bit more for that. So I'm going to reprint, if it's not one thing, Ospian Shim and Alien Us. So because I'm kind of a perfectionist, I want to have the most perfect copies on my bookshelf. So I'm offering them to anyone who wants them for free. You just need to pay for shipping. You will do not have to pay for the book. Why? Because it's fan fiction, we don't try to get a profit on fan fiction. That would get us sued. I'm not going to sell these books, but I do expect you to pay shipping. Osfanchim has already taken. Somebody else wants it. I first offered it on a Discord, and that is the Sid City After Hours Discord. It's um, it's like a fan group for Siddig Elfadil or Alexander Siddig, who played Dr. Bashir. Um, he did this. He still does it. I think I just haven't been getting into it, but zoom meetings every Tuesday and Sunday with Sid, <laughs> you know, and in bunches of people and, and, and I've gotten to speak to him a couple times and, um, other people have spoken to him a couple times. Some of them have showed artwork, costumes, different things. Um, so it's really kind of cool, but uh, the discord Sid isn't on that as far as I'm aware, but there's a lot of things on there. So I had first printed, if it's not one thing, the first time and the one that I gave away, I put it out on Discord and somebody jumped on it right away. And so that's the first place I decided this time around to put, offer them. And somebody did jump on Osfianchim. So Osfianchim has a taker. But if it's not one thing and alien us, do not. So... If you remember, if it's not one thing, that was the very first novel-length story that I read back in season one. It was my very first fan fiction story. Posted uh, first in 1996 on Alt Star Trek Creative and then posted in 1998 when fanfiction.net became a thing. And I posted it on, in I don't know, uh, 2017 or 18 or so on AO3 when I started posting all my stories over there. Um, so that one's taken, but if it's not one thing is up for grabs and I have that one now. So if you want it, I can have that shipped right away. We just have to get, get an address so we can figure out how much it costs. Usually I would do US priority mail for in the US and global priority for outside the US. So I'm willing to ship it anywhere, but as long as you pay for it. <laughs>
You pay for the shipping, and I will give you the book. Now, Alien Us is not here yet, because I just have just ordered it when I realized there was no page numbers. And so that kind of a miffed me, <laughs> a little bit miffed about that. But since it was, you know, really quite cheap, um, I decided, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and offer that one. As soon as it comes, I can turn it around and send it out to whoever wants it. Alien Us, of course, is the last novel link story I read, the one that took 30 chapters to do. Now, these are six by nine, six inch by nine inch trade books. And they are, well, uh, uh, if it's not one thing, is not quite an inch thick. It is um, more than 200, it looks like just over 300 pages long with the epilogue and this spacing. And I think that, you know, even though it has a typo in the back and there might be a few typos in the text, I did find a few when I was going through re reformatting it with the new um, version of BookRite. But um, there was just a few, not really a, a lot. Like things like Focused. Focused only has one S, really. <laughs> but I typed it with two. Ah, administration, I was missing one of the I's. Um, so things like that. Um, so it's a slightly imperfect copy, but it's still a good copy if you'd like to have that story to hold in your hand and put on your bookshelf. Um, I would, you know, be happy to send it to you. It's, uh, it weighs a good chunk because it's, you know, a six by nine book and it's 300 pages long. Um, in case you're wondering, is over an inch thick. It's a longer story, and it has more to it because of the uh, bibliography, the translations, and the X-Files epilogue. And this is over 400 pages long, just over 400 pages. Both of these are going to be smaller in my next print, but because I've you know, changed the spacing. But they're still really nice books. And I know that the Alien Us one is going to be nice. I think the only thing there when it comes... Obviously, there won't be page numbers because I forgot them. And then, like I said, the cover image is a little off-center, so it's closer to the spine than being in the center. And being the kind of cover that it is, it kind of needs to be in the center. So, um, yeah, it's slightly imperfect. And I'm going to do the same thing is offer it for free. So if either one, you're interested in either one of those, if it's not one thing or alien thus you can tweet me. That's probably the fastest, easiest way. Or email me. Either way, at Inhildy or Inhildy at gmail.com. And Inhildy is I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. -I, -E I think we have read Pain of Memory on here, haven't we? Have we read Pain of Memory? It's like, where does Inhildy come from? Yeah, we did. We read Pain of Memory. And Heilde Treitzig, remember her? She was the uh, private insurer in Pain of Memory. Um, that's where I got the name in Heilde. Because um, alien character names make good user and uh, usernames because they're generally unique. And nobody's picked them before. So <laughs> that's why. So in Heilde at gmail.com. I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I -I, or at in Heilde. Tell me which one you'd like, 
and then you can PM me. If you send the email, just give me your address. Um, if you tweet me, p then PM me once I let you know that you're the one. I don't expect that I'll get a lot of uh, takers because there's not a lot of people who listen to my podcast. I'm not, like, getting hundreds of people listening. So, <laughs> um, first come, first serve. So, if you tweet me you want it, I'll let you know, yep, it's available, you got it, and then tweet, PM me your address so that I can check how much it costs. It should fit, if it's not one thing, should fit in a flat rate envelope and go through the flat flat rate of uh, priority mail. I'm not sure exactly what that is. used to be under $5, but it might not be. Of course, global priority costs more if you're international, if you're not in the United States. So I just wanted to offer those out there. But to give you another reason to listen today to this podcast, I am going to read my other three Bucky Barnes short stories. Now, The Whip, of course, I can't read you because I don't read whips into my podcast. But I do have three short stories that I haven't read. Now, one of them, or two of them, are in the pieces to the puzzle series so this is where we go from healing hurts actually it's, it's, it goes for the whole one it goes from the asset to healing hurts to the next stage to bearing no it's not bearing yeah maybe it is bearing witness bearing witness to amends and then strong um, one of these, one of these, it'll either come before or after strong, depending on how you want, how I did it. Um, I can check my AO3. Hold on. Okay. I'm looking at my AO3, um, archive of our own right now, looking at the pieces to a puzzle series. It starts with the asset. So that's when Bucky is first captured. And, you know, he goes through two years there in the asset where he gets the arm and then they um, mistreat him, basically, and uh, make him forget who he is. He forgets his name. And then we have Healing Hurts, which is in the present day, where Sam goes to see Bucky because he hasn't heard from him for a while. And it turns out it's not because Bucky's ignoring texts, it's because he crushed his phone because he was having traumatic memories. And he was had, one of them just, you know suddenly came to him and in his in his trauma he just crushed his phone so sam goes to see him and, and reads the journal and the journal that he reads is the asset and then we have the story the next stage which is where bucky goes into the freezer and then goes into the um electrostatic whatever therapy um gets his brain electrocuted so for the first time so that's that one and bearing witness then is where sam stays the night in healing hurts and then he wakes up and bucky's had another memory and as bucky goes and showers sam reads the next stage then we have amends so that's where bucky has has decided to go to saint uh to louis louisiana with Sam, but, and then, and 
they got a new cell phone for him. Uh, before they leave, they're in New York, and Bucky gets a, te- uh, a text from Pepper Potts saying she wants to meet with him. And so he goes to meet Pepper Potts, and he's worried about it, but it turns out she wants to make amends to him for in, on Tony's behalf, and that Tony had forgiven him. Um, then we had Standing Watch, and that is one of the ones I'm going to read tonight, followed by Strong. I read Strong already. Strong was where he went through the procedure to make him a super soldier, and it was very, very unpleasant and quite long. Um, so that's that one. And then it's followed by Catching Up. And Catching Up is the other story I'm going to read in this series tonight. The other story, the third one that I'm going to read, is Learning to Live. And that is the sequel to the first pieces. And those those two stories are their own little series. The first pieces were related to pieces to a puzzle. Because if you go back to Bucky's analogy of a 500-piece puzzle that's missing half its pieces all all across with, with no picture and they're scattered all over the world um th- these are the first pieces he gets so this is right after he drops steve on the bank and he goes and he's collect you know he goes back to the base and he hurts people but he gets information and he spends the night in in, in one of their um apartments drives their car to the museum goes to the museum that we see in the movie and then leaves the learning to live covers the next two years from there to captain america civil war and it actually ends right with the dialogue from the just before the swat team gets into his apartment in in um bucharest so it covers those two years in a short story, so it does kind of move fast, but it has some poignant things that happen in that time. So if you want to listen to any of those stories to kind of remember, The Healing Heart, oh wait, so the, in season four, episode 10, we had The Asset, Healing Hearts, The Next Stage, and The First Pieces. And season four, episode 11, we had Bearing Witness, Amends, and Strong, and also His Greatest Achievement. Now, His Greatest Achievement can kind of go in the series with the stories from the past, but they cannot, it cannot be a story that Bucky has written in his journal to pull into the, second, into the present with the pieces to a puzzle because it's from the point of view of the Russian doctor. So it's not from Bucky's point of view, so he probably wouldn't know what was going on right then that way. He's in the story, but it's not from his point of view. All right, so it's kind of sitting on its own. Um, But that takes the doctor from uh, uh, Agent Carter, who was running Leviathan, and he got put in prison with Zola, and so I uh, took that, you know, took from there to put, have it that the doctor was, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, 
but he's got brain cancer and he didn't want to just waste away. So Zola invites him. He gets humanitarian leave out of prison because of that. But Zola brings him to the, to the Siberian base where he has Bucky, the winter soldier, the asset. And it's going to be that doctor. He was very good at hypnotizing. So he, he was the one who programs the 10 words that turn Bucky into the super soldier, um, winter soldier, who has no remorse, has no fear and all that and um, has re retains all the training and the languages and things like that, even though the rest of his memory is wiped over and over again. So that's his greatest achievements. And so it kind of fits in with the things that happen in the past, but it's not from Bucky's point of view. So it doesn't fit in pieces to the puzzle. All right, so let's get ready for standing watch. Oh, before I jump into that, I want to finish my thought. Um, so one of the reasons my hands hurt so much is because I formatted If Alien Us in two days. That's 30 chapters, 180 some odd thousand words. I put them in an RTF and then I put them in Bookrite and I had to like erase every line between every um, paragraph and all that and found more typos. <laughs> I only had three chapters that didn't have typos, but um, also I changed a name of one of the characters, a code name actually. Um, so all that work with the keyboard and the mouse, it just made all of my hands hurt. Obviously I have trigger thumb and maybe some other problems with my thumbs, especially the right. And I had the trigger thumb surgery, but my thumb still hurts and not just where I had the surgery, um, but all of my fingers hurt like really bad they they ached they they throbbed um because i did all that and then i turned around and reformatted if it's not one thing and osviencem now fortunately i had the previous files so i just had to change what was already there i didn't have to redo osviencem that took forever because it did not render the um polish and czech um diacriticals correctly and I had to painstakingly go from everywhere from chapter four all the way to the end looking for every Vladya, every everything because Vladya has two diacriticals in it and it's never italicized unless it's in a, in a piece of dialogue because it's just the character's name and so I had to look through every bit of that story to find every instance that I needed to put a diacritical in and then I had to copy it from, like, if I looked at uh, the HTML copy, and I would copy this character and pop it in where it needed to be. So fortunately, I didn't have to do that. But it was still a lot of work to erase a line between every paragraph. And so my hands were just really, really painful. They're, they're a little better today because I'm all done with that. So all I have to do is upload those stories and, you know, pay for them and get the new books. But anyway... Here we go. Back to Bucky Barnes, Standing Watch. Marvel Cinematic Universe, Standing Watch by Gabrielle Lawson. Bucky waited until the others were asleep upstairs before he put the record on. 
He kept the volume low so it wouldn't disturb anyone. He sat on his cot and leaned back against the wall and let the voices of the Andrew sisters carry him back to the days when he never had to sit out a dance. It was nice. He felt better tonight than he had for the last couple of weeks. Pepper Stark and Tony had forgiven him for killing Howard and Maria Stark as the Winter Soldier. Sarah and the boys had cleaned out this room for him. He had a dresser for his clothes, a cot to sleep on, one of those folding tray tables with an antique record player, and one Andrew's sister's album. Sarah had told him they'd take him to the thrift store to see if they could find more albums he'd like and buy them. And he'd shared with Sam on the ride from New Orleans to Delacroix that he was actually remembering a better time in Siberia. They had still called him the him asset, but they had given him real food and lots of water. They had also let him sleep through the night in peace. They made him do exercises in his room, such as jumping jacks and push-ups, not that he remembered the names for the activities back then. They also took him to a weight room to lift weights. It wasn't a perfect time. He'd seen other men lifting weights and heard them talking with each other about women or what they'd do after shift. He hadn't understood such terms as after shift or home, and when he'd asked, he was either ignored or punished. Punishment meant getting hit or kicked, and sometimes they used the rods that sh shocked him. Bucky remembered those rods now from his previous memories, but as Asset, he'd had to start over after that machine. But Asset had worked out a couple of things. He'd recognized that only he had a metal arm, and that he was considered less than the other men in the facility, despite his name literally meaning an item of value. Still, outside the freezer, he couldn't remember any better treatment, so Bucky thought that after the album was over, he'd try and get to get some sleep. For now, he picked up his notebook and wrote down the good memories the music was bringing him, like the times he'd tried to teach Steve to dance with his sisters. He wasn't half bad with the younger two, as they were smaller than him. Rebecca, however, had grown enough to be taller by an inch or two, and the dynamic just didn't work with Steve. He was clumsier with her while trying to lead, and he'd end up stepping on her toes until she'd insisted on being, on, on being only an example of good dancing by dancing with Bucky. The last song ended. Bucky tucked the notebook into the top drawer of his dresser, then stopped the needle and turned off the player. He turned off the light, then climbed between the blankets on the cot and closed his eyes. Sam Wilson was flying. No suit, no wings, just him floating above the clouds. It was exhilarating. When the clouds parted, he could look down and see the light from a city far below. The sound of screaming took him immediately out of the dream to wakefulness. He jumped out of bed, worried that someone was attacking one of his nephews, but they were out in the hall with Sarah when he got there. The sound was coming from downstairs. Bucky. Sam told Sarah to get the boys back to bed. He ran down the steps, then turned left for the living room. Bucky's room was on the other side of the living room. He stubbed his toe on the coffee table in the darkness, but ignored the pain to get to Bucky. He knew he had to wake Bucky up, but hesitated for a moment, thinking Bucky could take him for someone in his dream who was definitely hurting him. Then Sam could end up with broken bones. But the hesitation was only for a moment. Bucky needed to wake up. There was enough light from the window that he could see Bucky was lying on his back. Bucky! Sam shouted, hoping the sound alone would do the trick, but the screaming didn't stop. So he bent over and shook Bucky's shoulders, then let go. You're safe. You're free. Wake up! The screaming stopped. 
Bucky sat up so fast that Sam was knocked to the floor. Sam looked up at him and saw that he was shaking and starting to hyperventilate. Sam got up quick and sat down beside Bucky's legs. You with me? Bucky didn't answer. His eyes were wide and his breath was coming faster and faster. Sarah appeared in the doorway. Paper bag, Sam told her. She rushed away. Bucky pulled his legs up and turned so he was sitting flat against the wall. Sarah returned, handed Sam the bag, then stepped away. Sam opened the bag and lifted Bucky's right hand enough to put the bag in it. Breathe into the bag. He bent Bucky's still shaking arm toward his face. Bucky's other arm came up and he held the bag over his nose and mouth. Once his breathing slowed, Sam pulled the bag away. Better? But Bucky wasn't looking at him. He was facing the dresser, but Sam realized he was seeing right through the wall again. Bucky, he tried again. Come back. Steve? Bucky breathed. Sam sighed. On one hand, he was happy for Steve getting to go back and live the life he'd missed, but on the other, he was furious with him. What happened to the end of the line? Or even when I had nothing, I had Bucky, because Bucky was nowhere near the end of his line, and he'd been left behind. No, man, it's Sam. Sam? Yeah, I'm here. That was a bad one, huh? Still is. Sam made a mental note to call Dr. Rayner in the morning. Bucky's PS PTSD was out of his depth and beyond his training. He could help, he hoped, as a friend, but he couldn't be Bucky's therapist. He was used to vets who'd seen too much or done too much, but prolonged torture? Still, it was the middle of the night. He had to try. What are you seeing? What's happening? Strapped to a bed, Bucky whispered, hardly any louder than before, but more panicky. Blue tubes burning, beams from the ceiling. It hurts. He gasped a breath in. Please let me die. Sam frantically tried to make sense of the clues. He thought about the notebook, the last entry he'd read. Bucky came out of the machine and didn't recognize Zola. Zola smiled. Now we can make you strong. It was the serum, the blue tubes. The serum was burning him. And Nagel had said that his serum was subtle. No jacked up bodies or clunky machines. That had something to do with it. Radiation? Hadn't Steve had some kind of radiation? Bucky stopped breathing. Sam scooted back on the cot and closer to Bucky. Bucky? I died. So quiet. Sam was getting used to the dark. He could see the tears slip from Bucky's eye. They wouldn't let me stay that way, he sobbed. Then he gagged and coughed. <coughs> Tube in my throat. To help you breathe. Just breathe. Sam took Bucky's hand to try and ground him in the present. It'll be over soon. Bucky squeezed his hand, hard enough to hurt. But when Sam didn't feel any bones crunching, he grit his teeth to bear it. The light from outside was getting slowly brighter. Sarah was sitting in the floor in the doorway. He could see she was crying. Sam's fingertips started to tingle, so he wiggled them free of Bucky's hand. He put his other hand on Bucky's shoulder to keep the connection. But he was getting tired. The initial rush of adrenaline was fading. Sam dropped his hand after a few minutes and just leaned his shoulder into Bucky's. After perhaps an hour, Bucky whispered again, Lights out. No beams. Still straps. Still burning. An hour now must have been more hours then. Hours of excruciating pain and burning left to be strapped to the bed for the night. Did you sleep? He whispered back. No. 
But as the light brightened in the room, Sam realized Bucky's breathing was slowing and evening out. His whispers were left frantic, more present, if that was a thing. They took me to the weight room. One told me to lift the largest weight with my right hand. It wasn't heavy anymore. So I threw it in his face. Then Bucky blinked. He turned and looked at Sam like he'd only just realized he was there. Good for you, Sam told him, and he meant it. Hope you got a few of them at least. Bucky turned back to the dresser, but he nodded. I did, until they stopped me. It was the serum. You were strong, super strong. Why didn't you keep fighting? They shot me with something, shocked me all over, and I couldn't move. You are strong, Bucky said in an accent, but we must teach you again that we are your masters. Sam sighed. Of course they did. Bucky did become the Winter Soldier, after all. The machine, he guessed. Bucky nodded. Morning light was pouring through the window, and Sam heard movement upstairs. Sarah wiped her eyes and left to help get the boys ready for school. As awful as the night was, Sam actually felt they'd reached a turning point in these memories. That was probably the worst of it. The machine was terrible, and it would probably happen again and again, but the process of making him a winter soldier had actually killed him, though he was apparently resuscitated. I'm sorry, Bucky breathed. Sam shook his head. Don't be. That wasn't your fault. Besides, this time, you let me go through it with you. It felt like you were standing in the room with me, watching. Sam sighed again and sat up straighter. I meant it when I said you weren't alone this time. Look, man, you've got to talk to Dr. Rayner. Really talk to her. Getting it out is the first step in healing, and she wants to help you. Do you trust her? Only met her once, Sam admitted, and she definitely made it weird. But it worked. You opened up. I didn't address it right then, but I heard you. If Steve was wrong about me, then he was wrong about you. He wasn't wrong about you. Sam smiled, and he wasn't wrong about you either. And he figured that out as soon as he recognized you on the street. You recognized him, didn't you? I started to remember, Bucky answered. I knew I knew him, but then the machine. And then the guy that tore off my wing and kicked me off the helicarrier. Sam laughed. I had a hard time with Steve's opinion of you back then. Bucky chuckled softly. Sorry about that. And your car. Eh, I had insurance, Sam said, bumping his shoulder. And Tony gave me better wings. He laughed again. Then you got Wakanda to give me the best wings. So I think it all worked out. Sam stood and stretched. I, for one, need coffee. You? Maybe later, Bucky replied. His voice was getting stronger. I think I'll listen to that record again first. We'll go later and find you some more, Sam told him as he headed for the door. I'll save you some breakfast. Sam met Sarah and the kids at the table. The boys were just finishing up. Is Uncle Bucky going to be okay? Cass asked. Sam waved him over and hugged him close. Sometimes when something really bad happens to someone, they get really bad nightmares. Like I did when Daddy died? Sam nodded his head. Just like that. Bucky had one of those nightmares. What happened to him that was bad? AJ asked. Too much to tell a kid his age. 
Maybe Uncle Bucky will be able to tell you someday, but until then, that's his story to tell. All you need to know is that it was very bad, and that makes it hard for him to tell you about it. A.J. rolled his eyes. You mean I'm too young. That too, Sam agreed. He's sorry he woke you up, and yes, he will be okay, but he's going to have good days and bad days just like everyone else. He's here, Sarah added, and we're going to love him even on the hard days, right? Because that's what we do with family. Yes, Mama, both said in unison. So Bucky was officially family. Sam found he didn't mind that as much as he thought he might. Make sure Bennett and Elling, we know, A.J. interrupted. He kissed his mother on the cheek, then turned to go. Cass gave Sam one more squeeze, then hurried after him. Sarah waited until the boys were good and on their way. What was that, Sam? It was when they made him a super soldier. It was very painful, and it went on for a very long time. Is he going to be okay? I hope so. I told you the highlights. It really is his story to tell or not tell. Just know he never went with them willingly or knowingly. They took his mind before they took his body. But if it's too much, I can get us a motel room until we find an apartment. He still shouldn't be alone. Sarah turned and leaned back on the counter. I meant what I said, Sam. We're going to love him even on the hard days or nights. He's family. That's how he'll have the good days. Sam smiled and shook his head. I'm gone five years and you got all wise. Sarah put a mug of coffee in front of her. You finally... Sarah put a mug of coffee in front of him. You finally noticed. Okay, so there was standing watch. And she kind of did retell the story of Strong. But this was Bucky experiencing it. And then I imagine that Bucky wrote it down after. So he remembered the first part of Strong when they made him do the, ex the exercises in his room, when they went, took him to the weight room, when he asked about home and after shift and they wouldn't tell him or they beat him. Um, so, but the procedure to make him a winter soldier or to make him strong, super, a super soldier, that he hadn't remembered yet. So that's why he remembered a better time in Siberia. So that was the first part of Strong. But the second part of Strong, the really traumatic part of Strong, is what he has that night. So just after he's listened to the Andrews sisters, and he's turned off and he goes to sleep and he starts dreaming it. And it's, a, and it's just you know it's one of these slammed into him kind of things and he's actually thrown into a a nightmare that's a flashback and and though he kind of wakes up when sam comes down and he stops screaming he's still in the flashback that's why he tells him um when sam says that's a hard one and this was a hard one right he says still is because he's still in the flashback um, but he's able to tell for a little bit to tell Sam what's going on. And the blue tube's burning. If you remember, the things with blue in it, and it was going in, and when he thought it'd be cold because it was blue, but it went in and it burned him. And then the radiation. And it just made it so much worse. And he actually seized, and he his heart stopped. He died. But they resuscitated him and tubed him and went on with it until that night, and they left him... Can, um, 
left him hooked to the strapped to the bed overnight and when they, they let him out in the morning they took him to the weight room and just like he told sam they told him to lift the heaviest thing but he lifted it and it wasn't heavy anymore so he threw it in the face of the guy who said it and then he just kept throwing until they shot him with something that shocked him and, and immobilized him and then they dragged him off to the chair to the uh to the electricity to the machine and made him forget so he forgot that he hated them again <sighs> poor bucky <laughs> Is is the poster boy for PTSD, complex PTSD. All right, that's enough commentary. Let's move on to the next one. Marvel Cinematic Universe, Catching Up by Gabrielle Lawson. You gotta sleep, man, Sam told Bucky. It had been three days since the serum flashback, and three nights Bucky was up when everyone else went to bed and up cooking breakfast by the time everyone woke up. Sam could now finally believe that Bucky had single-handedly kept Tiny Steve alive after he'd moved in with him. His bacon was just right, crispy but full of flavor and not charred. He scrambled or fried eggs however one wanted them, and his biscuits and gravy were pure heaven. He was contributing some of his stipend money toward groceries since he had effectively doubled the grocery budget when he moved in. Today the table was set with cinnamon toast, sausage, fried potatoes, and scrambled eggs. Sam didn't press until the boys were off to school and Sarah had gone into the other room to work on the computer. I'm fine, Bucky replied. You're not, Sam retorted. Your eyes are bloodshot, your right hand is shaky, the eggs were a little on the runny side, and the toast a bit burnt. Bucky glared at him. You're criticizing my cooking? I don't see any leftovers. Sam laughed. It was still good, but it wasn't up to your standards over the last two days. And when did you look, learn to cook like that? Not during the Depression. I helped my mom in the kitchen. Sam nodded, happy that Bucky had some of those pieces for his puzzle. But he wanted to get back on topic. I could tell your concentration was off. You're not afraid to sleep, are you? Bucky turned back to the kitchen counter. Sam tried again. Come on, you probably got the worst one out of the way, right? It doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like what, Sam asked, hoping to get it more than a sentence. Dreams and memories, Bucky replied. Nightmares and memories. Dreams aren't exact, so just because I remember the whole event doesn't mean I won't still dream some perverted copy of it, and at least when I'm awake, I can write it or tell it. I can still be here, but when I sleep, I'm trapped in it. Sam softened his tone. I get it, but not sleeping is bad, too. They use that against you, remember? You'll lose concentration and judgment. Your thoughts will get squishy, and then you'll start to forget. Bucky didn't answer, and he didn't turn back. He started washing dishes, even though there was a perfectly good automatic dishwasher under the counter. Sam thought back to when he'd first encountered Bucky's Brooklyn apartment. Bucky hadn't wanted the painful memories of his second capture. Is that what you're hoping? That you'll forget these particular memories? It doesn't work like that either. You could lose those memories of cooking with your mom or saving Steve from getting killed in an alley. You remembered Steve but forgot your own name. You didn't get to choose. And talking with Rainer will help with the nightmares, he was quick to add, eventually. Didn't before. Sam had gotten enough clues to know Bucky hadn't been happy with his court-appointed a therapist. We could find someone else, but she knows you already. You'd have to start over with someone else. Besides, I spoke with her. 
She does want to help you, and now she's not constrained by the terms of the pardon or the government's goals. You get to decide those. Bucky braced his arms on the sink. What did you tell her? Sam put his hands up even though he was still talking to Bucky's back. No details. Just that you are remembering some new and painful memories. I did tell her your puzzle metaphor. She called it illustrative. Bucky sighed visibly. Fine. I'll talk to her. I'll try. He finally turned around. But you said eventually. How is she supposed to help me sleep now? Now Sam could see the darkness under those bloodshot eyes. He shook his head. She can't. And I don't know any way around it except to control your dreams. But not everyone, everyone can do that. I know I can't. Your body needs sleep as much as your mind, even if the latter has issues with it. You could try taking a nap. Sam hadn't noticed Sarah come in. Maybe it will be different. Different light, different sounds. Bucky looked at her and seemed to be considering it. Sam smiled lightly. He tossed a dish towel to Bucky. Go on, I've got the dishes. Sarah walked over to Bucky and took his newly dried hand. Bucky let her lead him away. But to Sam's surprise, she didn't lead him back through the living room. She went up the stairs. Curious and, well, concerned, Sam followed at a discreet distance. He edged up the stairs enough to see her take Bucky to her room. Sam wasn't sure he liked where that was going. He went further up and listened from just beside her door. Sometimes one of the boys will have trouble sleeping, she said, so I'd lay down with them for a little while, and that seemed to help. Do you trust me? If Sam adjusted his position just a little further into the hall and toward the stairs, he could just catch a reflection from her dresser mirror. She and Bucky were lying on top of the blankets on either side of her queen's bed. They were on their sides, facing each other. Give me your hand, she said, holding hers out. Satisfied that all was innocent in there, Sam stepped away and slipped back down the stairs. Bucky extended his right hand toward hers. She took it and gently rubbed her thumb over his knuckles. All the time they had you, she asked, keeping her voice low and quiet, did anyone ever touch you with kindness? Bucky expected that boa constrictor to take hold of his chest again, but her soft hand on his seemed to prevent it. He felt comfortable and relaxed, though his answer saddened him. No, he breathed, and it was the truth. And I don't suppose you've had much sense, either. Bucky realized she meant something more than casual touches that happened in the course of life, like shaking hands or a tap on the shoulder. The doctors in Wakanda had been gentle and not brusque by any means, but that was professional. Outside of Steve... He could really only count Pepper Stark's hand on his cheek and Sarah's hand in his. Sarah's eyes softened, and she gave him a small smile. We'll have to work on that. You're due for more. Close your eyes. I'll be here until you fall asleep. Bucky did as she said and hoped she'd maybe stay a bit longer. He wanted, just this once, to end up someplace pleasant. She still rubbed his knuckles. That rhythmic movement and the ambient sounds of birds chirping and leaves moving in the breeze soon brought him to the edge of consciousness. His exhaustion pushed him right over. He was home. His mother sat beside him as he lay in bed. She tucked the covers around him and brushed the hair from his eyes. She let her hand linger on his face for a moment and smiled down at him. James, how would you like a new brother or sister?
Sam was just starting the dishwasher when Sarah reappeared in the kitchen. When was he taken? Sam turned to face her. Uh, 44, I think. And when did Steve crack their brainwashing? That one he remembered quite vividly, as his first and second meetings with Bucky Barnes had been terrifying. 2014. Where are you going with this? Seventy years without a single kind touch. She sat down at the table and laid a pad of paper in front of her. Sam hadn't thought about it like that, but it made sense. He was a prisoner turned assassin, not a lot of kindness involved in either role, especially when they treated him more like an object than a person. But Sarah wasn't done. So think about it. In all that time, did he ever get to read a book or watch TV or even just relax at the end of the day and watch a sunset? Sam could imagine a whole lot of other things he'd never gotten to do until after Steve had managed to get through to him, and then he was trying to figure out who he was. He probably hadn't prioritized going to a movie or a soccer tournament. I don't guess he did. Sarah started to write on the paper. What's that for? Sam asked. We're going to brainstorm all the things he hasn't done since he went to war, and then we're going to help him do them. The light from the window changed how it landed on Bucky's closed eyelids, and he stirred. He had a moment's panic until he remembered where he was, Sarah's room. He rolled off the bed and stretched as he tried to hold on to the dream he'd had, but all he could remember was his mother. He heard voices downstairs, so he left the room and returned to the kitchen. Sarah and Sam were talking and laughing and writing on small slips of paper. There was a wide, empty jar on the table between them. What's going on? Sam smiled and looked up at the clock. Well, you managed a couple hours. How'd you sleep? Feel better? Better and yes, and I asked you first. What'd you dream about? Sarah questioned as she pulled over another slip of paper. Bucky took a seat and tried not to get annoyed. Can't remember, except my mom was in it. Thank you. She smiled. I'm glad. Can't guarantee it always works that, that well, though. This, Sam said as he picked up the jar, is the Bucky Barnes ketchup jar. Bucky wasn't sure if he heard ketchup or ketchup. Either way, he was confused. Sarah must have noticed. All these are things you've never done or never done since 43. Bucky leaned closer to see some of the slips they'd already written. He read, play video games, World War II, the 50s, and Hobbit films. I was in World War II, and the Hobbit has films? Sam pointed to him. Yes, but you didn't get to see the end of the war or all of the other sides of it, like the Holocaust or the Pacific Theater. Fortunately, the National World War II Museum is in New Orleans. And the Hobbit is three films, Sarah added. Bucky was even more confused. It was just one book. Sam chuckled. Yeah, well, The Lord of the Rings is a trilogy, and they made three movies out of that, so when Peter Jackson wanted to make a movie of The Hobbit, the studio told him to make three. The Lord of the Rings? Sam put two slips of paper in front of him. Read L-O-T-R and watch L-O-T-R. Tolkien wrote more. A lot more. Bucky remembered enjoying The Hobbit. Is Bilbo in it? In the beginning, Sam replied, and in the end. Gandalf is there, too, but it more follows Bilbo's nephew, Frodo, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. Do you want to read it first or watch it? Bucky picked up the read L-O-T-R slip. Read. In my experiences, the movies aren't as good as the books. Sarah and Sam gave each other a look, then Sarah turned to him. What else should we put in there? She gestured to the jar. 
Um, dancing? Bucky offered. You dance, Sam asked skeptically. Everyone danced, Bucky told him. That's what we did on dates, that or movies. He turned to Sarah. I was a good dancer, too. Steve, on the other hand. After another 15 minutes, Sarah said she had to go. But before she left, she went to the living room and came back with three little boxes. She put those on the table beside Bucky. On the side, they looked like little books. He read the first one, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. He and Sam kept brainstorming until the boys got home from school. They offered some creative ideas of their own. Then all the little pieces went into the jar, except Hobbit films and read L-O-T-R. We best get started, Sam said, picking up the first little box. A.J. grinned. I'll make popcorn. He reached for the cabinet, but Sam put his arm back down. Homework first, he scolded. You've seen it. You can join when you're done. The boys whined briefly, but gave in and ran upstairs with their bags. Sam grabbed two beers from the fridge, and then Bucky followed him to the living room. Why so early? These are the extended versions. He put the discs into the machine. First one is three hours long. Bucky couldn't understand. The Hobbit was a good book, but not very long. Three movies, three hours each? Something like that. Sam sat on one side of the couch and Bucky the other. He'd known that DVDs and Blu-rays were a thing now, but it still amazed him that they could fit a whole movie on one of them, and then that movie could be watched at home. Now, Sam said as the music started, I feel I should warn you. Peter Jackson had to pad this somewhat to fit three movies instead of one, so it won't be exactly like you remember it. In spite of Sam's disclaimer, Bucky felt he was watching that book come to life on the TV screen as Dwalin and Balin owing and glowing, Dory, Ori, and Nori, Bifer, Bofer, and Bomber, Feely, Keely, and Thorin Oakenshield invaded the li that little hobbit hole at Bag End, overwhelming poor Bilbo Baggins. He hardly noticed when the boys returned, except that little Cass had climbed up beside him and leaned into his side. AJ sat by Sam, and they passed the popcorn back and forth. Bucky also took a moment to notice Sarah's return, though she stayed in the kitchen to start dinner. When it was over, Sam asked him what he thought of it. Bucky beamed. I loved it. I think I need to read the book again. When did we watch the other two? Wait until you see the dragon, AJ commented. That got Bucky excited. Smaug? He already thought the goblins, orcs, and wargs were well done. And Gollum? Is he in the next one? Sam stood up. No spoilers, he warned the boys. To Bucky, he said, one a day. Ah, uh, he knows the story if he's read it, A.J. argued. Sam rolled his eyes. He read it like 80 years ago, and the books and movies are different. No spoilers, Cass agreed, and he wiggled himself off the couch. Fine, A.J. said, giving in. I hope you didn't fill up on popcorn, Sarah called from the kitchen. Bucky joined her. How can I help? Can you chop the potatoes, she asked. Bucky gave her one of his best smiles. I'm good with knives. Sam's snicker behind him was priceless. Okay, there was catching up. And probably that's one of the lightest of these stories because he doesn't really have any traumatic memories during this time and nothing is torturing him. He's just, like, not wanting to sleep and he's not getting enough sleep, so he's too... He's too exhausted, and it's starting to affect him. And he doesn't really confirm whether Sam is right that he's trying to forget those memories. But, you know, we don't know. So I've kind of left that ambiguous between them. 
Um, but I liked this idea that Sarah came and took him upstairs and just touched him kindly on his hand. And she's the one who realizes that he never got kindly touched in all that time. He never got to sit and watch a sunset. He never got to read a book or go see a movie. He never got any of that since they took him again, since he fell off the train. That is a long, long time without human touch, without kind human touch. Wow. And then after, not a lot of people are going to kindly touch him. Now, Sam, uh, uh, Steve, Steve hugged him. And probably in Wakanda, he got some kind touches. But not a lot. And so Sarah's saying, we're going to have to work on that. He deserves more. So that's going to be something nice. I do like the Sarah-Bucky pairing. Um, so I'm not going to take that too quickly, I don't think. I don't think that just because this is the last story right now that's in a piece of to the puzzle series, that it's the last story. It isn't. I have ideas. And some of them are in that Bucky Barnes catch-up jar. And so one of them has to do with his uh, birthday, a birthday celebration for him. And another one has to do with catching up with those lawyers that Pepper Stark hired for him and maybe getting his own place. And not to mention his cat. I did read the comics where my, my husband got him from the library that he had, or he showed me on his phone, one of the two, um, where he had a cat. Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier, after he's the Winter Soldier, after he's been redeemed um, in the comics, but he still has the Russian arm, um, he has a white cat named Alpine. And... You just see that cat sitting on his lap and stuff. And when assassins come to break into his house, he takes his cat with him. They're riding the motorcycle together. <laughs> he He's a cat person. I love it. I love it. I love kitty cats. Um, so I definitely think a cat would do him well. Uh, they are good for therapy. That purring probably could help him go to sleep. Um <sighs> Nothing like a snuggly kitty to make you just feel like you're getting a hug. And the unconditional love that a, that a pet can bring you. I think that cat could do wonders for Bucky Barnes. So somehow I'm going to find a way to get him a little white kitten. Whether they go to a shelter or he finds one out there. You know, like a alligator has attacked, you know, found a little pile of kittens that a mama has left and he manages to save one i i haven't decided yet but there will be there will be a white cat named alpine for bucky barnes <laughs> so um there are more stories planned for pieces to the puzzle but right now the next writing project is going to be chapter 10 of finding home the sequel to alien us so I've got my brain switched over to Malcolm Reed, and that's where I want to write. If my darn hand and my mind, you know, and my muse, the magic, will all get together and say we're ready for this, because even holding a pen right now is painful. 
Okay, we have one more story to read, and remember, this is not in that series. This comes after the first pieces where the Winter Soldier is just starting to remember who he is. Take it right from the very end of uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, where he leaves uh, Steve on the bridge, or excuse me, excuse me, on the banks, and then he goes to the base and he disables a bunch of guys until he gets the information that he needs and then he sets up a these you know thing to blow up uh, he has all their weapons and so he sets like a delayed timer and you know gives them some time to <laughs> if they don't want to die to crawl out uh before he blows up that chair um and then he takes the keys and everything from one of the men and he goes in his car back to his apartment and he checks out the the room make sure it's safe and all that he wasn't sure what to eat from the cold box um but he ate a few things started with a um, man, uh, microwavable beef stroganoff and he slept in the room and he had a bath and he went off to the museum and the museum we see in the cut scene of captain america's civil war after the credits the after credit scene um after credit clip and I wrote that in there as well. So we know that's where he confirmed that Steve was right and he is Bucky Barnes. But that's where um, that one leaves off and we move now to learning to live. Marvel Cinematic Universe, Captain America Civil War, Learning to Live, by Gabrielle Lawson. In the days and weeks since Project Insight, James Buchanan, Bucky Barnes, had disappeared. That was something that felt familiar at first. The soldat was good at disappearing, oddly enough. And now that he knew he was a person, and that he could pass as a person, it was easier than ever. Before, he would vanish and reappear at a safe house, one of Hydra's many around the world. Then he would be transported back to Siberia and the nothingness of the icy chamber. Now he went to the safe houses and dis disabled any operatives still there. He took their supplies of food and money and left. Then he reported them, them anonymously to the authorities before blending into the background and moving on. He was careful to keep his face from cameras, and he never showed his left arm or his full strength. Those marked him as different. He made his way further down the coast to South Carolina. He booked passage on a cargo ship destined for Lisbon. As it pulled away from shore, he had a moment's doubt. He was remembering more of his time before the missions, times in a place called Brooklyn. He realized by now the woman at the counter was his mother and the girls at the table were his sisters. And he remembered Steve, sickly and small, with the face of the man he pulled from the river. He'd stopped fighting. Steve would have let him kill him. He should stay. He should find Steve. Steve knew everything about him. But he had found other memories. Memories of his missions. Shooting an Iranian engineer through the body of a woman trying to shield him. Crushing the throat of a dignitary, beating to death an older man after a car crash. He turned away from the rail. If Steve knew what he'd become, he wouldn't be his friend anymore. Of course he remembered almost killing Steve. That was his last mission, after all, and there had been no wiping after it. Steve knew then that he'd become a monster, a killing machine. 
but he didn't know the depth of it. The numbers James Buchanan Barnes was counting as he wrote them in his notebook. He wrote them in the back pages. The memories of his life before were in the front. And every night as he tried to sleep, he hoped the front pages would start outnumbering the ones in the back. In the day, he watched other people. He learned how they acted in the galley, how they spoke to each other as they worked. He watched men shave and brush their teeth in the shared facility, facilities, and he copied their movements later when they were all asleep. He learned what was good to eat, how to smile and laugh when he didn't feel like doing either. There was a safe house in Lisbon, manned at present by two operatives. He needed money, European money, and other supplies. He knew he couldn't single-handedly take out every Hydra hideout and facility. Hydra was still possibly looking to recover him, and the Red Book was out there somewhere. With that, he could be activated again and lose the autonomy he'd just regained. He needed to find a quiet place to lay low and find more memories. He knew who he was, but he didn't really know James Buchanan Barnes. He was a stranger to himself. He didn't understand the language in Lisbon, so he had to move on. He knew Russian, so Slavic countries could be better. No, he had a feeling, pieces of memories, revolutions, a wall coming down. Russian may not be welcome in those other Slavic countries, and he didn't want to go to Russia. Definitely not Russia. No matter where he went, he need, he'd need money and supplies, so he had to take the safe house. He surveilled the agents from across the street. One of them, the man, was regularly coming to the balcony to look out at the sky and to scan the streets probably on watch against the authorities now that Hydra's secrets were out. It didn't deter him. James Buchanan Barnes was also the soldat. He was only learning who Bucky was. Soldat remembered everything he needed to get the job done. His training always came back after the machine. And the words. Only now he could use that training against Hydra instead of for it. He, and he refused to kill. He waited for dark. Then he went to the roof of the building he was in and got a running start before he jumped over to the building that housed the safe house, an apartment on the third floor. He looked over the edge and waited for the man to emerge from his last lookout. Then he jumped down, thumping the man on the head so that he fell without ever seeing him. He slipped quietly into the room beyond, looking for the other operative. He didn't see her, but he heard water running and followed the sound. The door to the bathroom was closed. There was a light under the door, and the water, running water was inside. He set his bag quietly on the floor and returned to the man on the balcony. He pulled him into the room and tried to decide how he would disable him. He wasn't going to kill anyone unless he had to defend himself. He didn't anticipate that happening here. If the man woke up, he would see his face. He might report him after he was gone. If he didn't have eyes, however, he couldn't see him and it wouldn't kill him. The water stopped just as he was finishing tying the man's hands and feet. The man was still unconscious. His face looked rather macabre now. He moved back to the bathroom door. He surprised the woman as she left, holding a towel over her body. He took her from behind, covering her mouth and holding her nose closed. She clutched at his fingers, scratched with her fingernails. He felt the sting, but didn't let up. He kept the pressure. She tried to elbow him, to kick him, but his body was stronger than hers. And pain didn't last. Her movements became erratic, and the towel fell down to her feet. Still, he held her. Her body went slack, and he dumped her near her partner. Her body looked strange and familiar at the same time. He was disturbed by her nakedness. He couldn't remember ever seeing a body like hers. People wear clothes. He returned to the towel and draped it over her torso. Then he did to her what he'd done to the man. 
He opened all the doors and drawers in the house. He found foot clothes and put those in their mouths so they couldn't scream when they woke up. He found weapons, phones, and computers. He tried using the devices, but he couldn't read the words on their screens. Muffled sounds came from the corner where he'd left them. The man was conscious. He squirmed, and a long, squeaky sound came from him. James Bucky Barnes went to him and, putting his metal hand to his chest, pushed him back against the wall. He put his first real finger against his own lips and said, Shh! The squeaking stopped as the man froze in surprise, but James Barnes was also surprised. How had he known to do that? But now the woman was stirring, and she started to scream behind the clothes in her mouth. He grabbed her jaw and shushed her too. He stayed there a whole minute as they stayed frozen in horrified shock. Then he moved through the residence, taking a mental inventory. He found more clothes, food, papers he couldn't read, and other things like cords. He put what he thought he might need in his bag. He ate some of the food and drank what they had in the cold box. In the bathroom, he found several hygiene items. He found things the other men on the ship used to brush their teeth and things they'd used to shave. The brushes he found were used, and he didn't like the look of those. But when he looked deeper under the sink, he found one still in a package. He opened that and used the substance in the tube with the picture of the brush on it. As he started brushing, he tasted the substance. It was minty and familiar. He remembered doing this before, though he was much closer to the sink, and there was a little girl in pink nightclothes beside him doing the same. He knew she was his sister, but not which one. After he finished and rinsed out his mouth and the brush, he went to his bag to write the memory down. There were only a handful of memories like that one in the front. He wanted more. The man and woman were now huddling together. They shrank away from him when he got close. He stomped lightly on the floor in different places, listening to the sounds. Finally, he noted a change. He pounded the floorboards with his right arm, breaking them into pieces. Below the pieces was a stash of cash and a list of Hydra operatives. He put the cash along with the toothbrush and tube in his bag. He put the list in the man's back pocket. Then he went to the kitchen and grabbed a knife, one of the dull serrated ones. That he put into the, one of the women's hands. Then he took his bag and left. He made the call from the train station and then looked at the departures board. It was in the local language, but he could still make out Paris, Rome, Prague, Munich, and Bucharest. Bucharest. There was a memory there. He remembered an older Russian man who liked to turn a ring on his finger and say, focus. He also repeated other words out of context, like daybreak when he was being trained on a new weapon. Then it hit him. Daybreak was one of those words, the words after the machine. After the man read all the words, he was sent to kill an activist, which he did. It was in a village outside Bucharest. He sighed, turned to the back of his notebook and wrote it down. He was already on his third page. He bought a one-way ticket to Bucharest and boarded the train just after midnight. He had a compartment all to himself. He sat in the corner near the window with his bag in his arms. He closed his eyes and fell asleep. He woke up when the conductor came to check his ticket. This happened several times as he crossed borders. The last came as the morning light started filling the compartment with light and warmth. The woman asked for his ticket and he understood her. He asked what time they would reach Bucharest and she told him 9 a.m. Once he reached the city, he looked for a small apartment in a high-rise building. He found one available and paid the first month's rent with some of the money from the Lisbon safe house. He went to a store and bought some clean clothes, some food, and a watch so he could tell the time. He answered a listing for work at a car manufacturer. He gave a fake name and was hired.
As the weeks and months went by, he observed and listened. As he did, he learned more and more how to be a person, and he felt less and less like the soldat. Still he was careful whenever he left his apartment and always watched for people watching him. In the late evenings, he liked to walk in a nearby park. It was quiet and pretty, and there were few people there at that time. He could watch the sunset and the first stars come out. He could think when he walked. He could remember. And when he did, he'd stop at a bench or sit under a tree and write it down in the front or the back of his notebook. He had a few more memories of Steve now, more than just with you till the end of the line. He remembered finding Steve getting beat up in an alley or parking lot and stepping in to stop it. He remembered playing with Steve and the cushions from the couch. He remembered Steve's mom being sick. Her name was Sarah. He remembered cooking with his mother and his meals started tasting a lot better. He remembered when his first sister came home from the hospital. She was so tiny and her skin was incredibly soft. She had blue eyes like him. He remembered a birthday party with his sisters and Steve. Steve's mom was in the kitchen with his mom and his dad started the kids singing as the ladies brought out the cake burning with 15 candles. And then he remembered his birthday was March 10th. The museum had said he was born in 1917. Still, the other memories were starting to crowd the notebook. He hated them. But any memory was precious after being empty, so he wrote them. Some of them had dates. He put those in order on the inside back cover, and he saw his life stretching from that 15th birthday in 1932 to 1949, 1951, 1957, 1963, 1970, 1972, 1979, 1986, 1989, lots in 1989, though it wasn't enough to stop the revolutions, 1991, 2009, and 2014. Those memories haunted him, and the years ticked off made him sad when he had nice memories. His parents would be dead. His sisters were probably dead, too. Everyone he ever knew before Hydra was gone, except Steve, and he'd nearly killed him. He bought more notebooks. As he remembered more, he remembered he was Bucky. He was Steve's defender and friend. He was a soldier fighting the Nazis in Hydra. He was a prisoner, enslaved with his squad, starved and beaten. He was a lab rat in Dr. Zola's lab. Thankfully, the details of that wouldn't come to him. Then Steve was his defender, and he was fighting Nazis in Hydra again. But the backs of the notebook told him he was a monster, a murderer, a killing machine. And no matter that he hadn't killed anyone since Insight, he couldn't just be Bucky Barnes anymore. Bucky Barnes was a good man. Steve was a good man. They were friends. James Barnes stopped eating regularly. He didn't watch TV. He sometimes went to an internet cafe and looked up people he used to know to find out how they had lived and how they had died. And he found out he knew how to cry. He started seeing things when he slept. Images of people, some he knew and used to love, and many more that he killed. And sometimes in his sleep, he killed the ones he loved and woke up crying. By March 10, 2015, when he turned 98, he'd become a recluse. He only left his apartment to work, to buy food, and to walk in the park. But the sunsets didn't fascinate him like they used to, and he kept expecting Hydra agents to jump out at him from behind every bush or tree. He talked to no one, kept to himself, and filled his notebooks with more than lists of memories. They evolved into stories, and there were always, always more in the back than in the front. He didn't just murder targets. He often mur murdered their security details to get to them. 
and he murdered witnesses when his orders said, no witnesses. They almost always said, no witnesses. He remembered every bloody detail of his ruthless efficiency. He remembered how the knife felt in his hand as he sliced a throat or this, and the sound of a trachea as it was crushed beneath his titanium fingers. He no longer slept for longer than an hour at a time. He hated who he had become, and he mourned for all he had lost. On the evening of his ninety-ninth birthday, he took a knife, a Gerber Mark II, to the park with him. He found a willow tree and ca crawled under its draping branches. He sat down and leaned against the tree. He set his stack of notebooks down between his legs. Then he sliced into his wrist and let the blood pour into the earth near his right thigh. The winter soldier was a monster, and Bucky Barnes was dead. Should have died when he fell from the train. Then all his ghosts would have been alive, and he could have gone to heaven. Now he knew he'd go to hell, but he figured he'd been living there for about 72 years anyway. Tears fell from his eyes down his face. He couldn't feel his fingers. He ignored the pain in his wrist. Pain didn't last. Not that kind, anyway. He closed his eyes and waited for death. He woke to a rumbling vibration at his neck. The tears had dried on his face and something was licking his nose. He opened his eyes to a bright moon through a shower of branches and a black and white cat purring as it snuggled into his neck. He moved his arm to pet it and realized he could move his fingers again. He pushed back his sleeve to fly, find blood-stained yet perfect skin. He couldn't even commit suicide right. Maybe if he'd had two wrists. The cat he could feel was thin. He could feel bones, ribs, and spine. She responded to his touch by purring louder. He hadn't disturbed her to look or anything. He just decided she was a girl. Are you hungry? he asked her. I don't have anything. She licked his face anyway. The tears started, and she licked them as they fell. They laid there together the rest of the night, and he slept. Only this time, he dreamed of fuzzy kittens wrestling and playing. When he woke up, the sun was rising, and the cat was gone. He picked up his notebooks and left the shelter of the willow. He had work in two hours. After work, he stopped at the pet store. He bought a box of cat food cans and several bowls. That evening, he ducked under the willow again. He set one bowl, filled with chicken cat food, down next to the trunk. He put the other down and poured water in, into it from a bottle in his pocket. Then he leaned against the tree and hoped she'd come. He only had to wait about an hour. She rubbed against him before going to the food and eating hungrily. After eating, she crawled into his lap and started cleaning herself. Once clean, she curled up and purred. He scratched her ears and she stretched her paws into his thigh with one paw after the other. And that's how he learned she had no claws. He didn't understand that. Cats were supposed to have claws. He wondered if she was born with a mutation or if something had happened to cause her to lose her claws. Every evening he brought her food and he reasoned that if he didn't she'd probably starve. She couldn't hunt properly without claws. Then they'd spend an hour or so together before she left and he went home. So Bucky Barnes learned to live with his back-of-the-book memories even as he searched for more for the front. And he let the idea of killing himself go because it would mean killing the cat who relied on him. After a few weeks, he could no longer feel her bones. She was still lean, but she was healthy. And he found out that some people had their cat's fingertips removed surgically so they couldn't claw their furniture. That made him sad for his cat, but he told her he knew what it was like as someone had taken his human arm and replaced it with a titanium one. 
He'd relearned to be vigilant, but also returned to talking to people casually. He said hello to his co-workers, and they asked him about his weekend. He made up something that sounded fun, and they showed him pictures of their kids. He browsed the farmer's markets for fresh fruit and vegetables and ate healthier. He'd heard plums could help with memory, so he bought some every week. He did push-ups and sit-ups to maintain his body. Sometimes, after the cat left and the park was empty, he'd run full speed around it a few times before turning in. He got used to the awful dreams and sometimes even managed to have nice ones. He had just bought some plums when his vigilance paid off. A news seller was staring at him a little too intently as he was waiting to cross the street. He walked over, but the seller ran away. There was a copy of the Journal of the Lodeloy on the counter, and Bucky's face was on the first page. It said he'd bombed a meeting of the UN in Vienna, killing several dignitaries, including the king of Wakanda. He didn't even know where Wakanda was. He should have left right then, should have walked away and disappeared like the soldat knew to do. But his notebooks were back in his apartment. With the Red Book and Hydra agents still out there, he couldn't bear to leave them. If he was ever put back in the machine, or if his brain just gave out from all the other times in the machine, those bat notebooks were his backups. So he risked it. He returned to his apartment as secretly as he could and found Captain America looking at his current notebook. He was dressed in a new version of his suit. Heads up, Cap. Steve had some sort of earplug, but he could hear it. German special forces approaching from the south. Understood. He turned and saw him. Bucky wasn't sure what to say, so he didn't say anything. Do you know me? Yes, he wanted to say he did, but all those back-of-the-book things. And now the one in Vienna he didn't even do. If he didn't push Steve away, he'd been putting him in danger. You're Steve. I read about you in a museum. It wasn't a lie. Not a whole lie, anyway. They've set the perimeter. Bucky thought he recognized the voice. The man with wings. I know you're nervous, Steve said, and you have plenty of reason to be, but you're lying. The truth, then. I wasn't in Vienna. I don't do that anymore. They're entering the building. Well, the people that think you did are coming now, and they're not planning on taking you alive. That's smart. Good strategy. He hoped his cat had learned to hunt without claws. He wasn't going to get to say goodbye. They're on the roof. I'm compromised. Bucky could hear them on the stairs. This doesn't have to end in a fight, Buck. Bucky set his plums on a table and took the glove off his left hand, resigned to what was always inevitable. He didn't deserve a peaceful life after what he'd done. But it wasn't by choice, and he wasn't going to make it easy for them, especially not for something he hadn't done. It always ends in a fight. Five seconds. He had to go, but Steve seemed to want to drag this out. Steve raised his voice. You pulled me from the river. Why? In for a penny, in for a pound. I don't know. Three seconds. Yes, you do. Breach, breach. Okay, that was Learning to Live, and I will admit to getting a little teary-eyed there. Um, it didn't break up too much my reading, I don't think, um, because I started crying <laughs> about the time when he was getting so sad and um, 
quite frankly, suicidal because he does attempt suicide in that story. And of course, I had to give him a cat. <laughs> We've already established that Bucky is a cat person. But I think at that time he needed someone to care for. He wasn't worth living in his mind. But that cat would die without him. And whether or not that was an excuse he made, you know, she was declawed, so maybe she couldn't hunt very well. She was very skinny when she finds him after he tries to commit suicide. Um, but it just doesn't work because he heals too fast. Um, and he, ex she immediately, you know, at that moment came to him and was purring at his neck. And... You know, she wasn't acting feral. And a cat, uh, a pet, can love you unconditionally, you know? That cat doesn't know that he's the Winter Soldier. <laughs> that cat doesn't know that he's killed all those people. That cat just believes he's someone nice. So she curls up with him. And he's warm. Maybe not at the point when he passed out, but somewhere as he was healing and he came back, his warmth came back. And cats like to be where warmth there is. And then he brings her food and water. So they kind of end up with a relationship. And at the beginning, that's what he needed. He needed someone to care for, some excuse to go on living. And so he made feeding that cat his excuse to keep on living. And that's how he learns to live with the things in the back of the book. Um, it's Sebastian Stan who said he kind of had a backstory for Bucky that when he grabbed that backpack, it had his notebooks in it. And he wrote in the notebooks so that if he ever got his memory wiped, he'd have backups. So that all came from Sebastian. So that's how I ha why I have him writing in notebooks in um, all the, of the present time stories of the pieces of uh, pieces of a puzzle series, and why I had him have a notebook in the first pieces. So um, it it made sense that he not trust his own head, and so he wants to write those down so he doesn't forget and um it just kind of makes him tragic because he, he commits he tries to commit suicide because as he's learning to be a person and he's getting all these back of the book memories first is just lists but then he gets stories then he gets to realize that he didn't just kill the targets he killed um their entourages as well and witnesses um if you watch the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the first scene we have with Bucky is a flashback where he breaks in through a wall and he kills three guys with knives and then he kills a couple more with bullets and then he jumps down and kills another, more guys with bullets and a knife and then he kills the target by crushing his trachea and then he goes over and kills uh, Yuri's son. Now, um, I'm not sure how Bucky has all their names from especially the witness, so that he knows in the end that he killed Yori's son. 
but maybe he's looked up these, you know, crimes and seen who else was killed around them or something. I don't know. Um, but he starts to have a conscience and he starts to think of himself as a monster because Bucky Barnes was a good man. And what he was when he was killing those people was not a good man. And that's the way he's played in the movies and in the beginning of the show. Um, his whole self-worth becomes based on what Steve Rogers thinks of him. In Civil War, the whole world thinks he's terrible, except Steve. Everybody wants to kill him, except Steve. Steve is the one man in the world who remembers Bucky Barnes and knows he's a good man. And doesn't look at Bucky at like, you're a monster that I hope you'll be my friend again. He looks at him as, you're my friend, I remember you. I'm getting teary-eyed again. So Bucky Barnes' whole identity is wrapped up in what Steve thinks of him. And that comes out in the weird counseling scene with Sam at the end when he says, if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. And his voice breaks then. It's like the closest Bucky Barnes got to crying in that part. And I think that Dr. Rayner picked up on it. And I think Steve, or that Sam registered it. He didn't address it right away. He had his own stuff going on. And at the moment, at the time, he was still being, he was angry with, with um, Bucky. And maybe he was resisting liking Bucky. Because the first two times he met him, he was terrifying. But Steve believed in Bucky. Sam didn't. So maybe that was part of it. But it wasn't until episode five that Sam starts sounding like the I counsel traumatized vets guy. Oh, he could do that for Carly, but he couldn't do that for Bucky. He said terrible things to Bucky. Or around Bucky, like they pardoned the bionic man over there and he's killed just about everybody he's ever met. Yeah. Didn't sound much like a, like a uh, counselor then, Sam. Ah, still, it's a good show and Sebastian Stan is just an incredible actor. It came out in that counseling scene when his voice cracked and it's really brought out in this flashback in Wakanda where um, Io is there, and there's a fire between them, but she's reading, and she's saying the words in Russian that turn him into the Winter Soldier, and he's either trying not to be or afraid he's going to turn into the Winter Soldier, and he doesn't. And his, re his fear, his hatred of that man that he, or that machine he was made to be, and then the relief, the freedom that he's gone. And Sebastian Stan hardly has any words. I think he says it's not going to work at the beginning. But then it's all just in his face, in his body language. And it's just beautifully, beautifully acted. He was incredible in that scene. It wasn't a perfect show. 
it was more about Sam and less about um, Bucky. So more about the Falcon than the Winter Soldier. The Winter Soldier, but it at least did somewhat um, deal with Bucky's post-traumatic post -traumatic stress. I um, I've said this before back in those episodes where I read the other short stories. I believe that they focus too much on the guilt. Um, Bucky may feel guilt just because he sees those memories in his head. You know, he, he sees doing himself doing all those things. But he wasn't at fault. Hydra was at fault. Zola was at fault. He was brainwashed. His memory was wiped. They took everything from him, including his identity. He couldn't not obey. So it's not his fault. But he still carries all that guilt. They focused on that side of his trauma. They did not focus on the side of what Hydra did to him. And that's what I set out to write when I started the, um, the stories. The past stories, the asset, and the next stage in Strong and his, his greatest achievement but also the present stories that kind of pick up where the Falcon and the Winter Soldier left off. I wanted to show that those things Hydra did to him were highly traumatizing. And he needs to address them. And the, I wish the powers that be had addressed them in the movies and in that TV show because... Really, those, that's, that's horrible, 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 horrible stuff that was done to him before he ever killed the first person. But horrible stuff they did to him afterwards. Every time they put him in that chair. Every time. It was telling that in the, Falcon, in, in the Captain America Winter Soldier, just before he's about to have his memory erased, you think they probably did that a while back. So he's just starting to remember Steve. He doesn't remember much before the mission. He remembers that he knew he knew the man, but he doesn't remember that it's Steve. He just knows that he knew him. That's all. But as they start to to put him in that machine, as he they lean him back, they strap his arms down, and his right arm begins to shake. And his breath comes harder and faster. He remembers pain. How could he remember what the machine does if the machine wipes his memory? It wipes his memory so that by the time he's at the end of it, he doesn't remember you know, what the machine did. But he remembers enough. There's at least enough of an impression that he remembers this is going to hurt. And he's afraid. And I thought... Man, that was subtle, but it was it was there. You can watch that scene. His hand shakes, the way he breathes, and then the way he screams. He remembered as the the halo is coming down around his head. It hasn't started yet. He's afraid. He knows what's coming, at least in some aspect. It's wow. <sighs> But anyway, 
I definitely have more to write um, in those ser that series of pieces of the puzzle or pieces to a puzzle. Um, the the series that ends with learning, you know, the first pieces and uh, learning to live that is done. It kind of takes you from it covers the space between um, Captain America Civil War and Captain America uh, Civil uh, Captain America Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War. It covers the space between those two, like, bookends. So, one movie is the front bookend, one movie is the back bookend. That is done. The movie's picked up on that. The present stories of the pieces to the puzzle pick up from the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The past stories start when he is found after he's fallen from the train. <coughs> and I don't know that I'll have stories after his greatest achievement on that side because he's wiped again and it's just going to be a repeated pattern of wipe words, kill, freezer, wipe, war you know, it's just over and over like that. And he already remembers killing. He remembers all the killings. So that, yeah, that could kind of like rear its ugly head again. In that he's gotten better at the end of um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Maybe that guilt has finally fallen off his shoulders and he's able to smile. And he's able to play with the kids, you know, hanging off his arm and all that. But... Maybe it comes back because of all the other trauma. Who knows? The thing about sometimes when you forgive others and definitely when you try to forgive yourself is that it's generally not a one and done. Sometimes you got to keep doing it. There's a song by Brandon Heath. Brandon Heath that the very first song he ever put out that kind of had something like that. And I can't remember how it goes, but basically he found a picture and whoever you is in the story, it's in the, of the song, it says, and you were right above me and I wondered if you ever loved me. But that's not who I am. And he has to go back, you know, he sees the picture and it, and he wonders if he ever loves him, loved him. And so he has to go back and forgive that person again. Because it hurts. Forgiving somebody doesn't take all the hurt away. So forgiving yourself doesn't take all the hurt away. And then you remember I mean, I'm, I have troubles with that. I have a master's degree in museum studies, and I did when this happened. I was working at the Arabia Steamboat Museum, and I was in the preservation lab, and I was working on this piece of the engines, and there was a little bit of um, fabric tape, kind of glued fabric, um, woven stuff at the, at the edge of it, and it was very... It was very, you know, wow, that this stuff is still existing after 1856. And my tool slipped, and it knocked some of that off. 
And that haunts me. It haunts me still. That happened in 2010. And it horrifies me. Thinking that I did that. I hurt an artifact. <laughs> my focus in my master's degree, oh God, I told you I'm going to cry, <sighs> was collections management. It was taking care of artifacts. And I hurt one. How do I get past that? I just have to forgive myself. And then I remember it and it hurts. And so I have to forgive myself again. So I could kind of see if Bucky kind of backslides into the um, blaming himself again. That could be part of it. But I think my stories are going to have him starting to have better days down there with, um, in, in Louisiana. Just like he had better days in Wakanda. It was not, like nothing in his memory. So maybe that was easier. He didn't have to have memories slap him in the face every time he walks down, walks, you know, around, but as he did in New York. So maybe it was easier for him to be in Wakanda where it's different and it's probably very different in Louisiana. And he's in uh, with a family. He's with a family again, with kids. He had two younger sisters. So I think, you know, that's where he ended up. And I think he's in a better place at the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I want to show him in that better place. And I want to show him healing through these stories. And the first part of healing is actually have, you know, facing it. And so now in these stories, I'm having him face these really painful memories. The other side of his PTSD. They only focused on in the show, in the movies, his guilt. They didn't focus on what Hydra did to him. And Hydra did some awful, 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 awful things to him. He's been through so much. So, yeah, he's the poster child for PTSD, complex PTSD. Um, he's probably one of, he's probably, yeah, definitely one of the most traumatized characters in fiction anywhere. Um... It's, he's, he just breaks my heart. <laughs> and then you got Sebastian Stan, who is very good looking too. <laughs> it's just, oh, he breaks my heart. All right. Well, I need to get going. It's late. Thankfully, it is Friday night, so I can stay up late. <laughs> but um, do tweet me or email me, especially if you want one of those two books. If it's not one thing or Alien Us. Only pay shipping. Get the book for free. Um, I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. -I. So, at Inhildi or Inhildi at gmail.com. Let me know. All right. 
Um, I don't know when I'll be back, but uh, when I either write something that I can share or decide to share something that I've already written again, which thing will I do? You know, I haven't done more than a ghost yet, I guess. Um, that would be one that um, I'll start season, season seven, but uh, it'll probably be a little break. Hopefully my hands will stop hurting and uh, my muse, the magic, will get together with me and uh, we'll produce uh, the chapter 10 of Finding Home and uh, then give a chapter of Momentous and a chapter of Perchance to Dream, then come back to The Path Not um, Taken with Bucky Barnes, write a chapter of that, and then alternate, because that seems to be my best method of handling multiple whips. It's not good to have four whips. It's not good to have three whips. It's not great to have two whips. If you're going to have a whip, have one if you can manage it. It's really hard to manage four all right. Trust me on that one. Uh, I thought I was going to have three when I finished the honored, but then Bucky Barnes hit me. <laughs> and and uh, 12 stories later, now I have four again. I tried to have them all say all those one shots, the one, the connected uh, short stories, but then the idea to do the what if, that's what the, the, the path not taken is a what if starting from the bank of the river so in the movie Bucky Barnes walks away from Steve in the path not taken he sits down and this changes everything going forward and it's interesting that as I'm writing it I cannot write it from Bucky's point of view everybody else's point of view <laughs> but not Bucky's Sam's uh, Steve's Tony's and Natasha's but not Bucky's and so I think that's the way this story is going to continue that I will be not writing from Bucky's point of view so it's it, it's interesting sometimes the different ways that stories uh, get themselves written um, like even the Bucky short stories I've been doing this thing that I have not done at all any other time since 1996 write out scenes that end up being referred to as if they happen but not written directly in the story that's weird but that's what's working there so i let it work this is the magic <laughs> it's all part and parcel of the magic of writing it's this story has to be written this way. The Path Not Taken is about Bucky Barnes, but it's not in Bucky Barnes' point of view ever. But it's supposed to be written that way. So it's intriguing the way stories determine, well, the magic determines how a story will be written. Isn't that kind of neat? It can be frustrating at times, but it's kind of neat. All right. Gotta go. Bye.